Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. The Madwoman in this poem. The madwoman in this poem lives on the 22nd floor of a block of flats, her husband and children gone. Each day she waits for a letter that never comes. Her wrists carry a flurry of scars. Her arms are dotted with cigarette burns. Every day she contemplates jumping. The madwoman in this poem walks the streets reciting Shakespeare and Milton. She shelters in bus stops and doorways, scrounges through rubbish bins, drinks from discarded beer bottles, begs for money to buy cigarettes and a moment's respite. The madwoman in this poem slumps into a ramshackle chair, hiding herself. Her large, torpid body founders. Her heavy breasts gush drug-induced lactation. Her body grows with each anti-crazy pill she reluctantly swallows. The madwoman in this poem transfixes in front of the TV, absorbing its many messages. Ellie McBeal is her daughter. Eddie Maguire can read her mind. Ridge and Brooke are talking to her, are going to come in a helicopter to take her to Venice to meet Brad Pitt. The madwoman in this poem lives in a holy grotto, awaiting the pilgrims. She carries the burden of Eve, smells God in the toilet, sees the virgin above the lintel, has given birth to the new Messiah, carries the secret of the Holy Grail in her heart, was raped by the devil, sees maggots wriggling in her stigmata. The madwoman in this poem is sure Beethoven stole the nine symphonies from her, cannot walk on the cracks of the pavement, can feel spiders eating her brain, fears her head is about to explode, is going to the firing squad next morning, is a character in a Bruegel painting, is an oracle of the dead. The madwoman in this poem is every woman, is any woman, is a mother, daughter, sister, lover, friend. The madwoman in this poem is me. Good morning. You're on 3CR and you're listening to Spoken Word. I'm Ella Fanelska and my guest in the studio this morning is Sandy Jeffs. Sandy describes herself as an old and submerging poet who has published five books of poetry, including her best-selling Poems from the Madhouse. She has lived with schizophrenia for 39 years and for many years, through her public speaking and advocacy, has been a human face to this often misunderstood and disputed condition. In November 2009, her memoir, Flying with Paper Wings, Reflections on Living with Madness, was published. Sandy has two poetry collections soon to be released, Kiara Skura with Black Pepper Publishing and The Mad Poet's Tea Party with Spinifex Press. What a great name for a book. I recently saw Sandy read and was captivated by her performance, her presence, her honesty, her realness, which compelled me to invite her onto Spoken Word to share her story and poetry with our listeners. Welcome to Spoken Word, Sandy. Thanks for having me, Elle. It's a pleasure to be here. Sandy, is it true to say that poetry saved you? Good question. Um, Did poetry save me? Look, when I went crazy many, many years ago, 
what I started doing as a way of surviving each day was to write poetry. So I started documenting my madness in poetry. And for a long time, whilst it didn't actually produce anything meaningful, what it did do for me at the time was give me some purpose and meaning in a life that was pretty hopeless and had no purpose and meaning. So whilst I was lying in bed all day listening to my voices, doing nothing while my friends were off at work, I would actually get up eventually and, and I'd start writing poetry. And I started to try and process my madness in little poems that were, for me, a ways of explaining to myself what was happening and maybe a way of explaining to an audience what was happening. So it was a, a really a, a, an attempt to understand and process this horrible experience. And I just kept doing it. And um, I mean, I wasn't a prolific writer or, or anything, but I just had this little desire to write poetry and to keep doing it. And so the purpose and meaning I was given by that process was really important for me at the time because my life was on the scrap heap, basically, and I had nothing to actually show for what I was doing in terms of you no know, work or in terms of product productivity. And, um, and what happened was that whilst I kept writing these poems, eventually uh, my friend Susan Hawthorne started Spinifex Press in 1991. And in 1993... I had enough poems for a collection and she said to me, I'd really like to publish your poetry. And I was... This was your first collection, This was my Sandy? first collection. Yeah. It was poems from the Madhouse and all the poems were about being crazy. And what that did, that, that moment of publication, what it did most emphatically for my life was it gave me back an identity that I had lost when I first was diagnosed with schizophrenia. So not that I go to people, hello, I'm a capital P poet to them, what it meant was that in my bones, I knew I was more than my label schizophrenia and I knew that I had this poetry and this um, this meaningful thing that I was doing. And the book being published was a consolidation of all those poems that I was writing. It was a validation for what I'd been doing in writing these little poems. And it was recognition finally that I had an identity that was an identity identity that was acceptable and meaningful in a world where a lot of meaning had been lost. So my life changed from the moment that book was published and it just, I, I can't even express or give give sort of words to how much my life changed. It changed in a way that I couldn't have imagined and a way that I didn't expect was going to happen and it, it changed for the better. And from that moment on, I had purpose and meaning and I had something to work towards and it was writing more poetry. So I'm not saying that poetry cures your condition. It doesn't cure me of my schizophrenia, but it gives me a way of, it gives me a purpose and meaning and an and, 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 and identity when you need an identity in this world to get through it. You know, I, I don't, I'm not a teacher, I'm not an academic, I'm a poet. And that's fine. I enjoy being a poet. Sandy, I know this turning point for you with the publication of Poems from the Madhouse happened at age 40. Um, and um, as you were saying, like life begins at 40. And um, can you talk a little bit about sort of the power of poetry and you know, what it really did at that time? Yeah, I have great faith in the poetic moment. And as, as you say, life for me began at 40 in a really profound way. But Poetry has this essence, this wonderful way of cutting through all the crap of society. And I've always maintained that in poetry you can speak the unspeakable, say the unsayable, utter the unutterable, and sense the insensible. That 
in poetry, it gives you a way of getting into the essence of things and a way of distilling all the stuff around us and, and, and conveying it in as few words as possible in the most imaginative way as possible as well. So I think poetry uh, for a long time has been this uh, echelon, this, this thing where we where we sort of hone in on, on all those contradictions we live with in, in life and we put them into a poem and it's, it's a little concrete evidence of what the imagination can do and how powerful the imagination can be. It does things differently to the way prose does because when I wrote my memoir, I had to write prose and that was a vastly different process to writing poetry. In poetry, you are in your imaginative um, constellation of all the things that writing is and all the things that you bring to bear upon that poetic moment. And that one little poem can say so much. But having said that, you can also hide behind poetry. Mm. I think in poetry you can hide because you don't have to be as expansive as you are in prose. Mm -hmm. So you can hide things in poetry as well. So it's a contradiction. On the one hand, poetry is a, is a way of um, illuminating a lot of things with few words. But I think in another way, you can hide behind metaphor, you can hide behind, behind imagery, and you can hide in a little poem. So it's a, both, it's a kind of paradox, both illuminative and a way of hiding. So very much like polishing a mirror and showing the truth or then um, going into a world of imagination. Mm, certainly. Yeah. So it's a mirror and also a way of hiding, in, hiding behind the mirror. Pure imagination 
what you'll find when you look into your imagination. You're listening to 3CR Spoken Word. My name is Ella Fenelska, and my guest in the studio today is Sandy Jeffs. We just heard a little bit of Jamie Cullum's rendition of Pure Imagination. Sandy is now going to share her poem, Alice in Larundel Land. Alice in Larundel Land is the actual name of a pantomime that was written by Chaplain Len Blair and performed by staff at Larundel Psychiatric Hospital in 1979. Of course, Larundel was closed down in 1999. It was a big madhouse on the edge of town that used to be in Bandura. And this is my homage to Larundel because I had many, many <clears throat> admissions to Larundel. Alice in Larundel Land. Alice fell down a rabbit hole and landed in topsy turvy Larundel Land, locked up, captive to lunacy and a passing parade of mad hatters and march hares, eccentrics and musos and artists and a poet or two, and ordinary folk with the deepest sorrows, an inconceivable lunacy, sharing delusions like needles, voices babbling in the background, ECT before breakfast, stellazine for lunch, prothiodin for dinner, Mellorol at supper time, and to bed with a hallucination and a moggy. A place full of hunger, hunger for kindness, friendship, love, a curious secluded world, its dark side kept well hidden. Shadow haunted inmates longing for peace with themselves, no one knowing the wars that rage within or the deep pain wedged between spirit and flesh, destroying lives, friends and families picking up the pieces. Larundel land's red brick walls now rubble, windows shattered, graffiti telling another story, a playground for vandals and urban explorers, once peaceful gardens dismembered, Sombre ghosts roam the precinct, calling us to remember them. We will remember you, sitting in smoky rooms, crying alone, laughing with deranged angels, muddled and paranoid, chaotic and manic, anarchic and confused, prisoners stalking locked wards, keys jangling. Medication trolleys rumbling into melancholic rooms. And the humour, the blacker-than-black humour, the cut-through-all-the-crap-and-misery humour. You will not be forgotten. We shall erect a monument to commemorate all who pass through Larundelland. We will remember the hellhole and sanctuary, the bottomless pit of despair, unexpected place of healing. Alice landed on her head in upside-down Larundel land, the madhouse that once stood on the edge of town, where time dawdled and everyone hid in the shadows. 
Language is indeed powerful. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this notion of reclaiming? I know you've spoken about that, Sandy, and this notion of, you know, mad and you you really sort of reclaiming that word. I do. Um, in the same way that the gay world have reclaimed words like queer and dyke and, you know, all those words that were used against us many, many times to make us feel bad about ourselves, in the same way, we we mad people who I call my mad comrades, we try to reclaim words like mad and schizo and psycho and all those words that are used to denigrate us and put us down. I actually wrote a poem called A Thesaurus of Madness where I have all these words for madness that are all synonyms basically and it just goes on forever and ever. It's about saying I'm mad but I'm not ashamed of being mad. I'm not ashamed of my experience. I'm not ashamed of having been in La Rundle and Albert Road Clinic and you know, having lost my, my reason. I'm not ashamed of those experiences and I, I don't want to be shamed by somebody else who wants to use language to put me down. So before someone calls me mad, I call myself mad and celebrate who I am. It's really what Mad Pride is about. The, the Mad Pride movement's been going for about, I don't know, 20 years or something. And it's about saying, look, here we are. We may be mad, but we, we are here and we want to celebrate who we are and what we are and not be ashamed of such labels. Now we're going to go down a different track and I'd really like you to share your clever wordplay poem, Poetic Licence Number One. Poetic Licence Number One. The poetry police have revoked my poetic licence. They caught me letting the doggerel mongrel off its leash, failing to give way to a comma, not stopping at a full stop, allowing my apostrophe to atrophy, losing my colon in the bowel of a vowel, mixing my metaphors, unrhyming rhymes, unmetering metres, mass alliterating alliterations, dissimilying similes, sponding dactyls, pantooming sestinas, haikuing tankers, rondelling kiriels, crapping in my trailette, spencerianing my Shakespearean, miltonicking my petrarchan, morphing odes into allergies, bastardising ballads, turning sinquains into limericks and narratives into epics. Confusing images and symbols, thinking the chant royale met, meant barracking for the Queen. It got worse. My quatrains were dysfunctional couplets. My stanzas were a dog's breakfast. My sextets were pornographic. My distichs were ditzy. My diphthongs ponged. My villanelles were sent to prison. My trochaic dimeters went tropo. My iambic pentameters became anapastic and died. My litotes hyperbolized and exploded. My monosyllabic foot got stuck in my mouth. My onomatopoeia plopped. My sapphic stanza went off with a woman. My terzarima got caught up in a menage a trois. My allegories turned into riddles. My little willy dangled and my stresses sent me to a shrink. You can see why the poetry police had to act. Fabulous. So clever. Now let's go straight into Hermione Beecham-Smith Council's J. Alfred Prufrock. 
Um, could you please introduce this poem for those that may not know the reference in it? The poem's actually written in response to T.S. Eliot's very famous poem, The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. And I've always thought that J. Alfred needs serious therapy. And I often wondered, the woman he's, he's sort of writing the poem to, I often wonder what would her name be? And it had to be a hyphenated name, so I made up the name Hermione Beecham Smith. And it's really her telling J. Alfred she has to, he has to have counselling. So the poem goes like this. J. Alfred, you can't go on like this. You need therapy. Your indecision is paralysing you. Just pop the question. Who cares if you are growing old and balding? Who cares if you wear white flannel trousers and the bottoms of them rolled? And all those cups of coffee, it's not good for you. Why can't you just say what you mean? You glimpse my bare down covered arms, and yes, my dress is perfumed. Smell me, love me, peel me a peach. J. Alfred, get a life. Stop navel-gazing. Get out of the psychodrama you're living in. You won't disturb the universe with silence or by playing a fool. Get some counselling and get it soon before you become an emotional cripple hankering to hear mermaids singing to you. I can recommend my therapist. J. Alfred, go and see her and get back to me when you've pulled yourself together. You'll find me with my girlfriends in a room walking to and fro talking of Michelangelo. Great, thanks Sandy. And of course the, the last line, the last three lines are taken from Elliot because he has the famous line and the women and the women come and go talking of Michelangelo and he sort of uses it as a put down of women almost in the poem so that's why I've invoked it in my poem at the end because it's very important. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, the voice of the community. 3CR, community radio, giving the voice to the community since 1976. We're in the studio with poet Sandy Jeffs. Um, Sandy, for interested listeners, where can they get a hold of some of your work? Well, I've had three books published by Spinifex Press, and if they contact the publisher, they will still have them. I know that Collected Works carries some of my books, and so does um, Readings Bookshop. And my memoir, Flying with Paper Wings, which was published by Vulgar Press, is still carried by Readings, I think. So people can find them through those, through those outlets. And I'm very excited to have two new books coming out. Uh, one, about, one about madness, again, The Mad Poets Tea Party by Spinifex Press, but also another one which is not about madness, and I'm very happy to sort of escape the mad poet tag in a way. It's called Chiaro Oscuro, and it's poems about the dark and light of the world and my own dark and lightness, and it's published by Black Pepper Press Publishing, Black Pepper Publishing. Fantastic. And now we're going to hear a selection from Sandy's Ferlinghetti sequence, which is coming out in her new collection, Chiaroscuro. Fleeing the doggerel home. I'm looking for the place where the streets are paved with poems. They were not in the bitter, cold, soaked-in-tears Ballarat of the tranquilised fifties and manic sixties where my broken soul lies. I flew the coop, flew the nest, fled the doggerel home, never went back, never want to go back. 
Now I'm where gilded trees and golden boughs dangle over my head. Here, at home, where the gentle light that wakes me in the morning opens my sleepy eyes to these yuletide hills, my haven away from an anxious world. These welcoming hills where it's Christmas every day. Calling Dr Phil. I've been diagnosed with a serious case of normality. My shrink says I'm a hopeless case. She's given me anti-normality medication, but it doesn't cure the condition. So I called Dr Phil. He suggested I try CAT, Cognitive Abnormalising Therapy, or better still, become an unemployed, mad, lesbian poet. Empty Chairs I've come a long way since leaving that doggerel home, but I am a fool, flying too high on a fool's rhyme, defying death to scale the poetic peaks. I bear my soul too many times to drafty rooms full of empty chairs. Everywhere we look in the world, there seems to be a crisis. So I've written a poem which addresses this problem. It's called OMG, WTF, A Crisis, LOL. There is a housing affordability crisis, a budget crisis, a political crisis, an ambulance crisis, an obesity crisis, a public transport crisis, a literacy crisis. OMG, WTF, it's a terrorist crisis, a print journalist crisis, a mental health crisis, a skills shortage crisis, a global warming crisis, an environmental degradation crisis, a honeybee crisis, a manufacturing industry crisis, a problem gambling crisis, a border protection crisis. WTF, LOL, it's a doping in sport crisis, a productivity crisis, a peak oil crisis, a debt crisis, a youth unemployment crisis, a childcare crisis, an ICE crisis, an ISIS crisis, a school tuck shop red lolly crisis, a poets union crisis, a common sense crisis, OMG, it's an acronym crisis, LOL, there's a WTF crisis crisis and I've had my midlife crisis, identity crisis, relationship crisis, weight gain crisis, lunacy crisis and existential crisis. So you'd better evacuate this poem before you too have, OMG, a crisis. You've been listening to 3CR's Spoken Word. My name is Ella Fenelska and my guest in the studio today has been Sandy Jeffs. As we're approaching the end of the program, I'd just like to thank Sandy sincerely for coming in and being our guest today. It's been a pleasure, Ella. I hope the, um, the audience or the listeners enjoyed the poems and it's, yeah, it's nice to share poetry with people and that's why we go to readings and, and read in public. Often I often ask myself, why do I read poems in public before people I have no idea of who they are get up and stand, stand up in front of people and dis- disembowel yourself? And we do it because we love our poetry and we love sharing it and we love hearing other poets read as well. So it's the poetic licence that we have to share and, and hear and be, be enthralled with poetry. Absolutely, and it's been a pleasure sharing your work with the audience today, Sandy. Thanks again. Thank you very much. 
in the love the 